Well, a happy Thursday night, everyone, and welcome in another edition of This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. Happy to be with you tonight with some positive things to talk about because it looks like hockey is going to be coming back soon, sooner rather than later. And Joe, it's just great to say that. But first things first, buddy, how the hell are you? How was the weekend? Dude, it was awesome, Alex. It, uh, Man, it's just been a long, oh, it's been a long year, <laughs> and I know we've been anticipating some uh relatively good news nothing's nothing's concrete yet but we have some really good traction with hockey uh, i tell you what uh from aside from the hockey thing you know we have vaccines rolling out yeah. in the uk hopefully we'll have them in the states here pretty soon they appear to be very safe and effective uh basketball starting before christmas hockey's on the horizon vaccines are going out i tell you what it it's been a long year for a lot of people, and it does seem like things are moving in a very optimistic direction, so I'm happy about that. You know what, Joe? I uh, I got to talk to you because I got a bone to pick with you, buddy. Oh, come on. Yeah. So today, of course, a beautiful day outside, 60 degrees, sun is out right before it's going to rain and get cold again, right? It's the winter time. So what I did was I busted out my leather jacket, and I oh, can't oh, – oh, yeah. Oh, oh, see, oh. I can't wear my leather jacket anymore without picturing Joe Vitale and Chris Kerber making fun of my leather jacket. I think – okay, so in my defense, and you know what? This is on me. I take full responsibility for this. I think that I was very new and raw in the booth when Curbs called you out. And I think I, I felt a little peer pressure from Curbs. Okay. And you know what, Alex? I, I apologize for that. Because you know what? I like your leather jacket, and I like that you like it. I like that you feel good in it. So I, I apologize for whatever I said because there are things that I wear and things that I do that I'm sure people absolutely can't stand. Like my, like my pants are really short. You probably just want to mock me all day long, but you're a nice guy. See, the thing is, I'm not a nice guy. I'm very insecure. <laughs> Curbs and I were insecure people. That's why we attacked your jacket. You understand? And, and I just want to formally tell you that I apologize, and I can't wait to see the Fonzie leather jacket back out in public soon. Let me tell you, buddy, I had the hair slicked earlier today. I had the button-down <laughs> shirt with the white T-shirt showing. It looked straight Henry Winkler Fonzie style. Um, and you know what? I'm just trying to keep up to par with the hockey player style, and I'll never forget the uh, the green pants that Joey wore to a practice one day that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was Alexander Steen that said, Joe, those pants are a little bit risky. No, it was actually David Perron. That's right. That's David right. David Perron called me out. And you know what? He he changed me for the better. Here's this is the hockey mind, right? <laughs> if if you were to say something about someone else's pants who aren't hockey players, ninety-five percent of the world, or all the sensitive people out there would be sensitive about it. Our feelings would get hurt. Yep. And we would never wear the pants again. We would complain to our wives that so and so was being mean to yep. me. And when we gotta we gotta cut, you know contact our therapist right out you know the whole process right yeah but hockey players were just like i'm so used to it yeah i did it hurt a little bit but you know what it motivated motivated me to change i came home i said hey honey she goes what's up i go i had a bad day she goes why what happened to your day today i go well, I was in the locker room and david Perron started chirping my pants and she goes well those pants are really ugly i was like damn damn it two damn. for two she, and she goes, Joe, I've been telling you that for years. I'm like, gosh, darn it. So I did. I threw the pants away and went to the store, went to Nordstrom's, got myself some nice new pants, got them tailored up nicely. And, and here we are. And, and I am a better man for it. I feel more confident in my new pants. And looking back, those are raggedy old pants, and I should have never worn them to the ring. So hockey players have a wonderful way of being honest, but also holding you extremely accountable 
to not only yourself and your play, but especially your fashion. And you know what? Hockey guys stick to their guns. That's why I'm going to keep milking that leather jacket, just because sooner or later people are going to get on board with the Fonzie look, and I'm going to be ahead <laughs> of the curve. So you know what, Joe? I appreciate that we got we aired out our grievances there, and now we are a better team for it, right? We're going to be a better team, and as long as me and you every now and then we can team up on curves for oh, his doctors and his khakis yeah. that are about four inches too long yep. and – and just, I feel like those are like just big pillows just waving in the wind. Yep. Uh, and then, and then the one thing bugs me about curbs, he's got these Eddie Bauer um, quarter zips, which yep. I don't mind. And I love Eddie Bauer, love Eddie Bauer. But the sleeves are like four inches too long. It's all bunched up around the wrist. I'm like, I yeah. said, curbs, can you tailor a couple of these things? He goes, Taylor, why would I tailor? Taylor costs more than the shirt itself. So. Uh, I kind of given up with curbs. And his sock game needs to step up. But I can guarantee our listeners and fans one thing. The broadcast booth will stick with Joe Vitale and Alex Ferrario teaming up against Chris Kerber uh, with his well, dress code. Well, when you have Doty there, too, Doty's calls, he falls in a very, very far, far forth. So we'll, we'll at least put curbs ahead of Doty. Yeah, Doty's in his own realm. And then, of course, we got T-Bone in the studio as well. So uh, we got a lot of characters on the broadcast that I can't wait to get back into the booth come January 13th. And Joe, that's where we stand right now. I mean, we opened up by telling people that it's a lot of positive signs. And from the last time we talked with Mike McKenna last week on This Week in Hockey, you know, we didn't have a date. But, of course, the next day we found out that January 13th is when the the NHL is targeting the return. And that's a positive sign that they have wiped away the financial conversations. The players have deferred some money down the road. They stayed away from escrow. So it sounds like we have found mutual ground in the NHL and the Players Association, and we're ready to start things back up. Yeah, I think it was pretty awesome. You know, last week on our show, we talked about, I think I was maybe on VK and Ribs uh, talking about it as well, and, and playing pickleball with a couple of those players last week. And like I said, lot, lot, lot stood out. But there was one thing we talked a little, little hockey, little shop, and there was one thing that they were not cool with, and that was the escrow. The owners coming after their escrow. They said, you know what, if we need to defer a little bit, listen, we're willing, we're willing to play the game, right? Because we, we all want the same thing. But don't touch our escrow. That's something that really stood out. And, and I knew at that point the players were going to fight tooth and nail. And they had a great cause for that. I think legally, uh, since the CBA was already signed from both parts, I think they, I think the owners kind of knew that this is, this is probably uncharted territory. We should probably stay away from this if we want any kind of labor peace and we want any kind of season uh, this year. So I'm really happy that the owners decided to step up and stay away from that. I, I'm proud of the players for deferring a little bit more money. Of course, it's not a perfect world, but they were willing to give up a little bit more. Will they make that money up somewhere down the road? Yes, they probably will. So I think it's just a, a really a, a positive sign. Uh, going back into last summer, Alex, when we saw two sides that were in the middle of a pandemic, they were trying to um, negotiate a new CBA and try to figure out a bubble on top of it and how we were going to finish hockey and how we were going to work Stanley Cup champion. And they signed a six-year extension on a new CBA and then missed the whole thing. I mean, it was amazing what both sides did back last summer and it's amazing to see what's kind of being done uh, moving forward right here and you're right uh, staying away from the escrow maybe the players deferred a little bit more money but we do have really really solid traction for the first time probably in three to four months as far as what this season will ultimately 
look like come hopefully mid-January. Yeah, it just at least gives you hope moving into the rest of the CBA, Joe, that things are on good terms. And, and you know, there was a great article uh, on The Athletic talking about how the Seattle Kraken season next year is kind of going to be like a fresh start in the NHL because then they get the CBA done with. We're hopefully back to normal. And you got full stadiums with a new team in the league. And I think this is a good jumping off point for the NHL and PA too. Yeah, you know, they had these conversations which nobody expected to do. Um, you know, they, they had some rocky road there for a little bit, but they found the common ground. And look, the essential goal is to get back on the ice and get people away from that and just be able to watch hockey. And I think we have finally found that. So it gives you positive vibes moving into the next five years of this CBA between both sides that you're not going to have to deal with this ever again. Well, you bring up a good point. You, know, you brought up Seattle because – you know, Alex, for a while here, everyone was saying, we got to get this season going because we got to be out of here by June 30th for the Olympics. And and that seemed to be the deadline that everyone was focused on. But but it's not only that. Yes, you have to be out before July because of the Olympics. Absolutely. Uh, all eyes will be on the Olympics with, that, that look like at this point to be full throttle ahead with people in the stands, which is incredible. Uh, but the other thing you, you touched on right there, Seattle. I think that all eyes are looking at this thing to get wrapped up and have a, a somewhat of a summer, maybe a July, an August, and maybe early September summer for these players. And then next fall, bam, we hit it right out of the gates with a new, fresh start. Lord willing, cross my fingers, sign across that we are past all this craziness, which we are maybe not to the full extent, but we can get fans in the building and we can still be wearing our mask if you feel comfortable. But the point is we're, we're past the heavy stuff and we can start this whole fall off next fall completely fresh with a brand new franchise. I mean, to me, uh, I'm kind of getting goosebumps just thinking about that opening night, Seattle Kraken versus the Vegas Golden Knights or whatever the heck it's going to be. Fans in the building. I mean, I can just see tears streaming down fans' faces thinking about what we had just went through over the last year and a half and now where we are right now. So I think that's a big part of how all this thing is continuing to evolve and why the NHL right now, the players and the union, the Board of Governors are in such a rush and gun to get this thing going because they do want to see a season this year and they got to be out before the Olympics and to get a fresh start for next fall uh, when the Seattle Kraken, of course, come into the league. So it's going to be very exciting uh, stuff here. I think we will have some substantial news, hopefully sometime next week, as far as that, because the only thing right now we don't know is exact dates, exact games and how it's going to look as far as I know we have probably a segment later. We're going to talk about it, but how it's going to look as far as in rinks, yeah. bubbles, uh, destination cities are fans allowed or is it a fans allowed across the league is it based off each team and each city and each, each county as far as health i mean what does that all look like we don't have all the answers right now but we can certainly speculate uh based off of how other sports are looking and from the little inside scoops that we have uh, moving forward. Yeah, and we'll get into the realigned divisions that people are talking about and really where things are going to go from here for the fans because I know they want to know about that in the next couple of years uh, for not just the Blues but for hockey in a whole. But, Joe, one more question. Uh, before we find anything else out about the season, it has to go through approval of the Board of Governors on both sides, the NHL and the Players Association. So what is going to have to happen in that sense, and do you feel like that's going to be a hiccup at all for the NHL's return? What were we talking about? Say that one more time, Alex. So the board, so the board of governors, the two thirds vote that basically has to happen for the approval from the owners and players side for all of this stuff to be uh, in return in, in the NHL. Sure, sure, yeah, no, for sure. I think that is what I've kind of gathered. 
I believe it's going to be next week. I think early next week, the league is going to provide a full plan, a full plan about every detail. You know, remember they had that packet before the bubble about how everything is going to look. It was right. like some outrageous 500 pages or some outlook as far as testing. So the league is in the process right now of preparing a full packet uh, plan about how 21-22 season starting in January uh, is going to look according to them. And then all that has to happen at this point now, Alex, it just has to be approved by the Board of Governors. Now, I, I will say that I'm sure the Board of Governors may, may tell them to go back and tweak a couple things, but but the guts of it, the guts of it already has to be, I feel like, filled out and approved by the Board of Governors because we wouldn't be in this position where we're looking at a January 13th start date if the Board of Governors had any kind of uh, question or major issue about something that's going to happen in the future plans. I think the guts of it is agreed upon. I think you just have to iron out some details across the board. And where we stand right now is that the league is all putting that together and gathered. I think early next week, they're going to present all this to the Board of Governors. It should be pretty quick. I think within a day or two, uh, which puts us at a timeline, Alex, so probably sometime mid to late next week, I believe we will have a substantial look at what we will be looking at starting mid-January. Standpoint, from a destination standpoint, how the, how the, the, the games are going to look. Is it a baseball schedule where you play the same? Uh, how many fans are allowed in the buildings? We're going to find out based off of what your where your jurisdiction is, how, how that works. Uh, the broadcast, it's a big thing. Are the broadcasts going to be allowed to go across the country and do the games? Or is it going to be how baseball used to be? If the game's in St. Louis, the St. Louis feed uh, goes out to the away team and they do it from home. We don't, we don't know yet, but I yeah. think that's what's being ironed out right now. Yeah, well, and that'll be some good news, at least if we find out next week so that we can look forward to that January 13th start day. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. Joe mentioned it a couple of times, what these are going to look like, what these divisions are going to look like. Well, let's get into that next because the, we found out at least speculation last night that the Blues could be playing in a division that I feel like is kind of BS. So Joe and I will jump into that next year on 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Thursday night, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. Of course, it is This Week in Hockey. If you miss any of the program, you could always check out our shows, 101ESPN.com. Just uh, search in the search bar, This Week in Hockey, wherever you get your podcasts from. This Week in Hockey, Google Play Store, or the Apple Podcast. You just search This Week in Hockey, and you'll get all the shows that Joey V and I do throughout the season. So, Joe, let's talk about this realignment of the division, because uh, you joined me and BK earlier today on 101ESPN to talk about this and we saw it last night again this is pure speculation this is not set in stone things can change tonight things can change tomorrow but right now as we sit the blues at least are speculated to be playing in what would be called the pacific division so their realigned division would be along with the colorado avalanche the dallas stars the Arizona Coyotes, the Vegas Golden Knights, and then the three California teams, the Kings, the Ducks, and the Sharks. And for me, Joe, I don't think this is the smart move at all. And I know either team is going to get screwed on this one, whether it be the Blues or the Minnesota Wild, because they are in that central time zone. But if you're going competition purposes, and if you're going just solely off of the travel, St. Louis playing in this Pacific division is kind of BS in my opinion. Well, listen, it had to happen one or two ways. There were only two teams, two teams, Alex, that were on a bubble as far as where they were going to go with this new realignment. 
Uh, clearly, every team in Canada was in that division. That was a no-brainer. Right. You look at the Upper East Coast with the New Yorks and Pennsylvanias and all those kind of teams, New, New Jersey. Those are no-brainers, right? They're clustered together. It makes sense. Okay. And then you go to like this Eastern South division with the Floridas and Carolinas and then the Nashvilles. Of course, you got Columbus over there. So that makes sense as well. Then you go out west. You got the Californias, Vegas. Now the, so it's everything's perfectly set up except, except two teams. Minnesota and St. Louis, they're kind of hanging right in the middle of everything, right? You don't know where they can go. Minnesota rightfully probably should go to camp. They can't cross the border that far north. <laughs> St. Louis is that one that you're like, woof, this could really go either way. And it really came down to the Minnesota Wild and the St. Louis Blues. Those were the only two teams. They weren't sure which division they were going to go on. For a while there, it looked like the Blues were going to join this Florida Southeastern division. That's where it was speculated for a long time. Uh, it's unofficial, but I think it's unofficial official. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. But I do believe the Blues were, are going to end up in this Western division with the teams you mentioned, the California teams, Colorado, Arizona, Dallas, um, and Vegas. They're all kind of in that mix. Uh, so initially, when I, and I said this on the show earlier with you and, and BK today, I was disturbed by it because I think the competition's way better. Not way better, but it's better. It's going to be harder to win games out West than this Eastern South division, which they're originally um, into. Now, I say that now with a caveat because I talked to a couple of players about the, all this today, and they're actually pretty excited. Get this. They're pretty excited about playing heavier teams because they feel like they match up better against heavier, predictable teams. Interesting comment. Think about that. L.A., uh, heavy, predictable, right? Uh, Colorado, although heavy, they're also predictable. Vegas, you know exactly what you're going to get out of them. And if you look at the track record of St. Louis against these teams, they've had a lot of success. They've done very well against the, the, the Jet-type teams or the Vegas teams or the Colorado teams. They've done well against those big, heavy, skilled teams that are predictable and they know exactly what they're going to get out of them. The teams that they make them really nervous, uh, believe it or not, the Detroit Red Wings, they don't even know half the roster, right? Columbus Blue Jackets, they can get a little bit scattered. The Chicago Blackhawks, although they are not a very good team and they're in a rebuilding process, they are unpredictable because you just don't know who's in the lineup. You don't know who these young guys are. And it's just uh, the Blues, simply put, they love playing predictable teams because they know a game plan that will outdo their game plan, right? Does that make sense? So yeah. looking at these Western teams, although I think they are better, more skilled and certainly heavier, Colorado and Vegas being the top two teams, I think, in the league right now, they do have this predictability factor where I think that these players are used to it. I think the coaches can put a game plan in front of these players, and I think that they really can have a lot of success out west. But I know I'm, I'm kind of curious about your thoughts uh, how and why you think they got hosed with all of it. You know, the only the only part with this one, Joe, is I just look at the competition level. And look, frankly, uh, this applies in the Canadian division because I think there are teams playing in the Canadian division that might be out of the playoffs that deserve to be in the playoffs because – you're playing in a very difficult division. The same can be said for the Eastern Conference, where you got a lot of these teams playing like, you know, Philly, Pittsburgh, the Islanders, the Rangers, the Capitals. Like, you got a lot of teams playing. But I think when you put all of these teams in one division and then you go to what is the Central Division, you're going to have a couple of teams that make the postseason in the Central Division proposed that makes the playoff that maybe don't deserve to make the playoffs. And then you look at this Pacific division, I think we all can agree that the Sharks, the Ducks, and the Kings don't really deserve to make the playoffs, at least right now. But if only four teams make that make the playoffs out of that division, well, you're talking about the Blues, the Colorado Avalanche, the Dallas Stars, the Vegas Golden Knights, 
and frankly, the Arizona Coyotes might be in that conversation. One of those teams might be on the outside. I just think you even up the competition a little bit more if you put the Blues in that Central Division and put Minnesota in that Pacific Division. But going off of what you said, Joe, because I'm intrigued by this, looking at the division, if that stays the same for the Blues and they do play these Pacific teams, part of me wonders if they have to change their way of 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 hockey and what their game plan is because yes they match up great against these these heavy physical teams but with what they did in the offseason and I know they brought in Kyle Clifford but you do have a Tory Krug now you do have a little bit more of a faster blue line and the Dallas Stars beat the Vegas Golden Knights in the postseason this last year because of their speed do you feel like that if the Blues are in this Pacific Division, they might utilize speed more than they utilize physicality for this upcoming shortened season? You know, I think I think they're going to do both, Alex. I think the speed of Toy Krug's ability to get up the ice, I think they're going to lean on some younger players like Jordan Cairo, Mackenzie McEachern, both kids that can skate like the wind. I'm talking like Chuck Yeager speed. Oh, <laughs> shout out Chuck Yeager. Chuck Yeager. Dude, he was a beauty. Yeah. He broke. He broke the the the, the, the sound barrier. He, he hit Mach one. What an animal! Anyway, uh, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people thought that the plane would explode, but he's like, "No, I'm gonna go after it." Anyway, oh, good. So yeah, fast guys, fast guys like Chuck Yeager. Anyway, so I think we're gonna use that speed. I think Tory Crew can get up the ice. I think that's gonna help. But I, I, I'm telling you, I, I think in some ways, playing against these California teams and the heaviness of Colorado. I mean, stepping into Vegas with Ryan Reeves and all their kind of brute, that fourth line of carry. I mean, those guys can, those guys can, can throttle with yeah. no sick. I think an undercover player, not undercover. I mean, you mentioned him. It's hard not to mention him, but a player that sometimes is not thought of as going to make a big impact. I'm telling you, Kyle Clifford is going to have a massive, massive impact on this team in this division. This is this, this division is tailor-made for Kyle Clifford, and it's going to be tailor-made for this Blues team. And they, if you're Ryan O'Reilly or David Pratt or Vladimir Tarasenko, you are going to love the fact that you're going to look down the bench and you're going to see number 13, Kyle Clifford, on your bench when you're out there against these heavy teams. This was a good, strong pickup by Doug Armstrong. People have talked a lot about the Troy Crew. He made this magic happen. But having a Kyle Clifford, some guy out there that's going to create space for your teammate, it's going to make guys on the other team think twice before they run over a young Robert Thomas because they know you got to deal with that animal on the bench, right? So he's going to have a huge, huge impact. So that's one of the reasons, uh, to your point about adding speed and physicality to this division. I like that. Another aspect, Alex, another aspect, if you're a player, would you rather spend five days in a city and have to play the same team three times if you're in Detroit or if you're in Las Vegas? <laughs> oh, Vegas in a heartbeat. Did broadcasters okay. get to be a part of this? Okay. Uh, how about how about five days playing three games in Columbus or Scottsdale, Arizona? Oh yeah, we're going Scottsdale. Columbus is just uh, depressing to be that that long. Right. Okay. So you see where I'm going with this. Right. Okay. So this is my point. You know, and 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 I think if you're Doug Armstrong, you're the coach. If you're these players, yes, the competition is going to be stiff. It's going to be heavy. You're gonna you're gonna have some bumps and bruises. But talk about a livelihood, right? Talk about a lifestyle of spending. You know, if you look at – let's just say, for example, they, they play the Ducks and the Kings back-to-back in two series and back-to-back. You could be spending about two weeks out in California. Now, two weeks in California beats the hell 
out of going to Columbus and then Detroit for two weeks because that's that's just cold and rainy and cloudy and it could be very depressing. I think if anything, I know I know it's kind of sounds silly, but it's not that silly. It's a big deal. These players being out in the sun, being in good weather, it picks your spirits up. Yeah. Right. And I think being on the road when when they're on the road, it's gonna really pick the spirits up. And another thing. I'm going to tell you one last thing. I'm a little bit of a rant, but I've been around these guys a lot, and I know them. Yeah. And this is another important thing. When you go out west, you have long flights. This team thrives on the road. This team thrives on those long plane rides. I mean, they, they hop on the plane. They strip down to their PJs. They get the cards out. And they, they, they literally are such a fun group to be around. They really enjoy. A lot of teams would hate going two time zones apart. This team enjoys being on the road. They enjoy the long flights. They enjoy being on the West Coast. Even though it's two hours back, they, they really enjoy each other. And that is what's rare about this group and special about this group. And another reason why I think now, looking back overall, the kind of back and forth, what, what divisions are in, I think this is going to actually suit them better um, than any other one. But I got a question for you, Alex. Yeah, hit me with it. You, you, you mentioned those teams, and I think you're right. So four teams from this West are going to come out to make the playoffs. Yeah. Okay? I think the front runners, there's five of them. There's the Blues, there's Colorado, there's Vegas, and I would put Dallas and Arizona to what you just said. So I, I, let's, let's eliminate all the California teams. Okay. Out of those five teams, which team's going to be the odd man out come playoffs if only four of the five will make it? You know, Blues, if, Arizona, Colorado, Vegas, or Dallas? You know, if it was a normal 82-game schedule, Joe, I would probably say Arizona, but because it's a condensed schedule in 56 games and because we saw how good Arizona was last year under Rick Tockett, Arizona's not going to be an easy team to keep out of the playoffs. If Dallas can stay healthy, they got a one-two punch that can measure up against anybody in goaltending with Udobin and Bishop. So that's why I feel like the Blues got a little bit hosed, as you like to use earlier today. Because, I, honestly, I don't know. I think you, Colorado and Vegas are the obvious ones that are going to be coming out of that division. Like, I think we can all agree with that. And in a normal season, I'm putting the Blues on that. And I think I will put the Blues as third in that division right now. But I think Dallas and Arizona, and frankly, I think San Jose can cause a lot of problems with these teams in the Pacific Division in a 56-game schedule because, Joe, all you need is you need to get on a little bit of a run, and you're talking about a team that could miss out in the playoffs if they have one bad week. And that's one bad week of maybe COVID hitting. That's one bad week of maybe an injury pops up. Or that's one bad week of, frankly, a player just feeling sick. And if you match up against one of those teams because the series that they're talking about is like a baseball series, if you match up on a bad week and lose those games – you might be talking about those points that differentiate from you being in the postseason and you not being in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It, it's really interesting, and, and it's funny because you were mentioning those teams. And oh. let, let's just take, for example, what if the Blues end up not making the playoffs? Let's say that Arizona, Colorado, Vegas, and Dallas make it, and the Blues are the on-man out. Let's say it was a tight a tight race, and I believe it would be. So let's just, let's just play devil's advocate for yeah. a second. So the Blues are out being in this division. How would you feel? If you looked over at this Eastern Southern, and I think you make the argument that Tampa will be there. Yeah. I think Carolina's really strong. I, I even think Florida. I think Florida's going to make make the playoffs. Okay, but then but then you have uh, you have a Nashville or a Minnesota that would make it because you obviously Detroit and Chicago are out. So it's like if you miss, and then you look across the board, and then you see like a Nashville, a Minnesota, or a, or a Columbus. Then you're thinking like, geez, 
Yeah. Like, I think it may have been nicer to be over there, would it not? Well, and that's where I'm at on it. And again, you know, respect to anybody who makes the playoffs. If the Blues miss the playoffs, they don't deserve to be in the playoffs, regardless of the division that they're playing in. But my biggest thing is, look, I think Tampa's going to be in that, obviously. I think Nashville actually is going to be, and I wouldn't be surprised if Nashville's in it. But when you put the Blues up against the Florida Panthers, I take the Blues any day of the week. When you put the Blues up against the Minnesota Wild, I take the Blues any day of the week. Frankly, when you put the Blues up against the Carolina Hurricanes, I take the Blues any day of the week. I think in that division, the Blues are the obvious boy they're the obvious third best team I would argue that they're the second best team in that division if you put them in there today. but being in this Pacific division, I don't know if the Blues are the obvious third best team. I think I could make the argument on the Blues being the fourth best team in that Pacific division. Dude, how important? is backup goaltending going to be this year, Alex? I mean, we're talking 56 games and a tight schedule, and you mentioned the Dallas duo, but, dude, this is going to be this is going to be seriously important, is it not? Oh, my God. The backup goaltenders in depth is going to be the huge pieces for a team wanting to make the playoffs because, again, of the COVID uncertainties because of the injuries that could pop up with some of the players playing a condensed schedule – but more so than anything, if you don't have two goaltenders that can play, you won't be in the playoffs, which is why you're going to really be looking at this Ville Husso and wondering if the Blues made the right decision with Jake Allen. And I'm glad you brought that up, Joe. Let's get into that next because the NHL has proposed the uh, option of an expanded roster in a taxi squad for this upcoming season. And I think that could benefit, but it could also hurt the Blues. I'll explain next here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Thursday night, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. So, Joe, we ended the last segment talking about how big backup goaltending is going to be, and I think it's going to be a huge component for this upcoming uh, condensed season that we hope starts on January 13th. With that being said, the NHL has proposed the option of expanded rosters and a taxi squad uh, for the NHL teams because 56 games, condensed schedule, you're going to need a little bit more depth. First, let's talk about the goaltending because the move of Jake Allen made sense at the time, but with all of the veteran names on the market for the Blues, you wonder a little bit if they make the right decision not going out there and signing a Jimmy Howard or bringing in an experienced backup to be that third goaltender because the Blues did sign a John Gillies, who it's technically the third guy who's going to compete in the AHL uh, for playing time, but let's say Bennington doesn't have a great season, or let's say an injury pops up, which we all knock on wood hope doesn't happen, you're putting a lot of faith in a guy who has not played in an NHL game in Ville Husso without the protection behind him in a season that if you're playing NHL series like a baseball series, you're going to use your backup goaltender at least once in those three-game sets. Well, I... I... I agree and disagree. I agree that it makes you a little nervous having a goalie that doesn't have a ton of experience in Billy Huso. But at the same time, after hearing Jake Allen's comments about this young Billy Huso last year, him saying that he's never seen a goalie this dialed in to the, to the tactics, to the depth, to the angles. He's never seen the flexibility. He, according to Jake Allen, Billy Huso is the absolute full package. And I think, the fact that Doug Armstrong signed him, even though he wasn't experienced, to me, that shows the confidence they have in this young kid. So I know it sounds bad on paper. This kid's never been around a lot. But I think he could be that good where Alex, they, they're actually seeing him as is maybe a potential future asset 
for the St. Louis Blues. So I like it for that reason, and I kind of like it for another reason. Okay, Jordan Bennington is going to be a UFA at the end of the season. Okay, they need to figure out what's going to happen. Was was and I know that Jordan Bennington has certainly proved himself, right? But let's say he has another great year. What if he what if he is asking for way too much, and what if the Blues can't afford it? Or what if he has what if he does have a bad year and they they decide to move on? The fact that they have Billy Huso now that kind of gives you some flexibility where you're going to look at the end of this year, whether Bennington has a great year or a bad year. And I think he's going to have a great year, but then, then you get concerned about him being a UFA and Ooh, how much is he going to, how much is he going to cost to have around? So I think it's a really good insurance policy that you have this young kid come in. He's going to be good. He's going to win you hockey games, but also this could be a really, really nice safety blanket in case things don't end up going the way the blues and Bennington's, um, parties would like at the end of the at the end of this year. Now you go out and get Jimmy Howard, and yes, you have a great veteran. You're going to have a good backup this year, but then at the end of this year, what if you lose Bennington and what if you lose Howard? Then you got to start from scratch. And who knows? Another thing, Alex, who knows how much Billy Huso is going to play? We don't even know what's going to happen with the American League team this year, or with the whole league for that matter. I mean, they're they're talking about starting February fourth, but we but we also don't know how many games these minor league players. Are going to play. I think that in some ways, Billy Huso may get more action uh, from better players at the NHL level this year than he would if he was playing as a starter down in the American League. So it's a lot of a lot of things to juggle and a lot of things to think about. But again, with that with that American League not fully being confident that a lot of teams are all going to be playing, I, I think I like I like kind of the goaltender spot where the Blues have it right now. So let's move past the goaltenders because because I'm with you, Joe. I've, I'm looking forward to seeing Ville Husso because I do think this guy has been talked about by a lot of people. Bill Armstrong, specifically when he was here in charge of the scouting, um, of course now he's with the Arizona Coyotes, but they've all talked about how Ville Husso is projected to be a number one goaltender in the NHL. Like everyone loved what this guy had to offer. It's staying healthy and it's showing what he can do, but you might have found a cheaper Jake Allen uh, coming up with this season. But let's look at the expanded roster in a whole because I asked you this this afternoon on BK and Ferrario but I want to dive a little bit deeper into this what do you think these expanded rosters could look like for the Blues because you know we've seen some of these guys that are uh, slated for the AHL like an Austin Pagansky or a Klim Kostin um, but you also have some defensemen who could get shots and that's a loaded area right now for the Blues but think about it. You got a Scott Perunovich who might make the club now, a Nico Mikola who is expected to make the club, and you also got a Jake Wallman who a lot of experts are thinking that he might take that jump to the NHL this season. Joe, you got a lot of depth for the Blues, which we said in the previous segment, if you want to be successful in this division, you might need that depth to stay successful, and I think the Blues have themselves set up for that. They do, and every player has a different desperation level based off of what kind of opportunity they're going to be given. Let me give you an example, Alex. You mentioned some great names in there. Uh, Jake Wallman, uh, let's just put him, let's just compare him to a Prunovich. Yeah. Okay. Prunovich, uh, a top a top pick here for the Blues, had a great college career, Hobie Baker winner, ran the show at Minnesota Duluth. He is a guy, like a brand-new toy. Like a kid gets a brand-new toy at Christmas. Everyone wants to play with a toy. Everyone wants to play with Scott Prunovich. I know it sounds really weird. But um, <laughs> everyone wants to play with a new toy, and he is the new toy. So he is going to get a huge opportunity, and he is going to screw up, and they're going to put him back out there. He's going to have a terrible game. He's going to get put back out there because that's what you do when you have a good new toy, right? Now, Jake Wallman, both defensemen, a completely different situation. 
He's had plenty of opportunity. So Jake Wallman's in a completely different boat as far as what he needs to do to come out and make the club this year. He's on a much tighter rope. They already kind of know what he, what he is and what he hasn't been for the next three years. Now, can he make that step? Absolutely. I mean, last camp before they went to the bubble, uh, Craig Berube, he, he called Jake Wallman out as far as one of the players he was super impressed with. In fact, he actually was partnered up with Petro when we were out there at 17 watching some practices before they flew out to Edmonton. So he was close. I think he's made huge strides here with this program, but he is going to need to step it up in a big way, and it's got to happen right from the get-go. He's not going to have a game or two to kind of flirt around and see see what's working and what's not working. He's a player that's been around long enough. He's got to go out there. He's got to go get it. So every player's in a different situation. I think the two guys to really keep an eye on coming into camp, and I don't think there's going to be a lot of players camp for obviously safety reasons. I think Scott Prunovich on the back end, is a player to really, really, really keep an eye on. And, this, and plus, we'll see what happens with Vince Dunn. We're not 100% sure he's even going to be signed before camp starts. Right. So that really opens up some doors for Scott Perunovich because it kind of plays similar styles as far as running the PP and playing, get up the ice, move the puck. Him and then Clem Costin. I think those are the two guys that uh, are on the forefront of these coaches' minds, of this management side. Let's see what Clem can do. He's had a year under his belt. He's made some good strides to see where he's at. And Scott Prunovich, see where he's at. I don't think there's a lot of pressure on Scott. It's his first crack at this thing. He's played college hockey. He hasn't been at main camps because uh, you're not allowed to go to main camps and do all that kind of stuff when you play college. So he's just kind of getting around these guys now. It's going to be some growing pains. But to me, those are the two players you really got really got to keep an eye on. But, Alex, you know, one thing you brought up too, and, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it because I just don't know, is what's going to happen with the, the second-tier the second players, guys that play in the American League? Yeah. I mean, you have – you have Canadian clubs with United States American League teams. Look at Edmonton, for example. I think they're American League affiliates in Bakersfield, California. So there, there's not going to be any border crossing there. I mean, what do those players do? If, if they can't play in the States because their team's in, in Canada, like, do you set something like that up? Some some teams, this is a, this is a gate-generated league, way more than the NHL. And if, if you're the Cincinnati or the Cleveland Bay or whatever – are you going to be able to even survive and have a team, an NHL affiliate or AHL affiliate? You know, look at Springfield for the St. Louis Blues' sake. What, what's going on in Massachusetts? They're, they're probably not going to be able to have anyone in the building. Are they going to be able to have a team? I mean, uh, I just don't know where where we go as far as all these players that are going to be kind of hanging around and wondering what the heck we're going to do. So, so I'm looking at this right now, Joe, and there, so far that I've found, there are five teams in the AHL that play in Canada – uh, you got the Toronto Marlies, which, of course, they're the Toronto Minor League uh, affiliate. You have the uh, Winnipeg Jets Minor League affiliate playing in Manitoba. Uh, there's a couple of others as well. What I would imagine is you're going to see the, t- the the Canadian teams maybe play their own AHL division because they're only playing from February to the end of the season. So maybe that's a shorter schedule. Uh, but the other thing I wonder what might happen is that taxi squad we talked about. What if those Canadian teams that that you know have their affiliates not in Canada, they keep the players on the taxi squad or the expanded roster that they feel like are NHL ready and they can skate with the players at the NHL level and, of course, get their shots on the NHL roster. And then the rest of them just play in the AHL with no projections of making it uh, to the NHL level that season. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. But, I, I mean, you're right. Like, that's a hurdle that I don't know if teams have found the solution to yet 
in terms of this upcoming season because that's a major loophole that you have to find a way through if you want to continue to grow your prospects, but also know that those prospects won't be growing at the NHL level. Well, and maybe to your point, maybe they have those taxi squads instead of playing in these AHL cities, you don't have to open up these ranks. You don't have to go to Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania and see the and see the Wilkesbury Penguins play. Maybe, maybe to your point, these taxi squads, maybe they're in the NHL city. Maybe, maybe the Springfield AHL affiliate of Blues, maybe they just stay in St. Louis. And maybe they just play games on off days when the Blues aren't playing. Right. You know, maybe maybe you have fans, maybe you don't. It's not so much about that. It's about maybe all the owners of the American League team just saying, you know what? It's a wash this year. We're not going to make any money. We're closing the doors. We're taking out the ice. It is what it is. And then you just have every AHL affiliate go to the NHL city where, of course, then they're within close contact. If they need to be call-ups or send-downs, they're very close to each other. And then maybe the AHL just travels around like they're in the NHL with these big with these big NHL cities, and they just play games, you know, even if you don't have a full roster. Say you have three lines. You just go out there, you let them play for a little bit, and, and you know, you have fans, you don't have fans, however you want to work it out. But at least you're getting these young kids some reps yeah. because – Again, we'll see. Another thing we didn't talk about, we'll see what happens with the outbreaks. I mean, we may run into a situation. Remember what happened with the Cardinals this year? Yeah. You know, losing all those players. Where did the Blues go down? Eight, nine men on some sort of outbreak, right? Who, who knows? And then you're going to need some players. So I think to completely wash the American League or wash these players or send them home, I mean, that, that cannot exist. They need to have a good team beneath every NHL team because we just do not know what's going to happen this year. Yeah. But it, it is interesting. It's going to be interesting to see where how the AHL – in the East Coast Hockey League, another league, just under the AHL, kind of work off of what the NHL provides for them. That's going to be the biggest caveat in all of these things. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. When we come back, I'm curious to get Joe's thoughts on this, and I know the fans are asking this question, where do we go from here moving forward as a fan base? So we'll get into that next as we wrap up this week in hockey here on 101 ESPN. Final time here tonight on This Week in Hockey. Make sure you stick around because we got Thursday Night Football coming your way next. Patriots and the Rams, and you can hear that action here on 101 ESPN. Joey and I are here every Thursday night throughout the hockey season, which we hope is going to be sooner rather than later. So, Joe, I'm curious because I know you uh, kind of were a part of some conversations moving forward uh, with all of this. But, look, I think the question from the fan base right now is, You don't know when we're going to be able to be back in the stands. You don't know when it's going to be at full capacity again. So, so I think the question that I, that I'd like to talk about with you from a fan base perspective is where does the organization go from here? Because you're going to have another season with possibly an empty stadium. Maybe you get some people back in the stands at some point, but when do we get back to full capacity? When can we get back to normalcy I guess and I know that's a really hard question to answer because it's pure speculation but it's something that I think a lot of people are asking and it's something I think you and I can talk about and speculate about yeah I think it's speculation is you know great and I wish I had a magic ball to give those answers as far as when everything will be back to normal all I can say right now Alex is what are the next steps forward yeah. and I think the next steps will be I, I do believe we're going to see games in, in host cities. I think you're going to see games at the Enterprise Center. There was a lot of talks about bubble and maybe going up to some cities where everyone plays. I, I, I think that's past. I think I think it, I don't think that is going to stick. I think we're going to see games out in St. Louis. I think when the Blues go out to play the Kings, they're going to play them for three games out, out, out of Los Angeles at the Staples Center. Okay, so uh, from a St. Louis perspective, uh, what will that look like in January? Say, Let's just take, for example, say we're playing Colorado, January 16th, 17th, and 18th, for example. You know, will fans be allowed in? At this point, I think so. 
I, I think there will be fans allowed in. I'm looking what's going on with Mizzou basketball. I'm looking at what's going on in SLU basketball. I'm looking at how the NBA has fans in, in their buildings, all closed stadiums, by the way, and, and close to home. I, I think I can see how it's being done responsibly. Now, will they fit 18,000 people come January 18th? Absolutely not. Will it be half capacity? Will it be 9,000? I don't think so. I think we're talking like 20, maybe 15 to 20% to get things going. You know, So I think that some raw numbers, I think it's very realistic for fans to expect to fit about between two to 3,000 fans in the Enterprise Center for a game come the end of January. And I would like to hope that with through vaccines and through exposure and through this rapid testing, all this new stuff's kind of coming out. It's amazing. As we continue to move forward, it's a month and a half away, maybe by early February, maybe we increase it to 30%, 40%. But every city, this is the key, every city is based off of the local jurisdiction. So it's not a, it's not a league-wide mandate. The league's not going to come say that every, every arena can put out 15 to 20% fans. It ain't going to work that way. It's going to be just like football where you see some stadiums with some people, the Kansas City Chiefs, and then you look at the Baltimore Ravens the other day where no one was in the stands. It's, just, <laughs> it's going to be based off of everything, okay? So you go out to L.A., I promise you the Staples Center is going to be empty. There's not even going to be a whole a soul of a fan in that building, only people that are working games. But St. Louis might be a little different. Again, we're, we're starting to see what, what everything is going on, what everything is going on as far as oh, my kids in the background yelling at me. <laughs> we're starting to see it, things kind of going well with mizzou and slew and different good things around here hopefully that continues hopefully that continues we see fans in buildings i know when if teams go to florida i bet there's gonna be a lot more fans in florida it's just the way it is right so it all just kind of depends upon where you're going so for a fan in st louis if you get to a game which i do believe you will in january if you're one of the lucky souls to get into that building shouldn't be many of you you better get freaking loud because there's not gonna be many of you there but it will be something and I think it is a starting block. I think it is, is building towards something. And I love and I can't wait to see even a, a few little sprinkles of people there. Because, again, with every, all the good news of vaccines and, and everything kind of coming, we think it's going to be a better spring. I, I can see if it's done responsibly, it can keep ramping up little by little by little. Baby steps. Joe, before we get out of here, can I, uh, can I give you a what's up with that that we usually do? Hell yeah, that's, our, right. that's our segment, bro. Let's let's end it on a fun note, buddy. So I don't know if you saw this, but um, uh, Jerome Aginla, of course, the soon-to-be Hockey Hall of Famer, the former teammate <laughs> of the Joe Vitale, yeah. was, uh, was driving through the beautiful city of Boston during a snowstorm, and a television station decided to interview a commuter at a rest stop and didn't know that this was Jerome Aginla. So they're asking questions to Jerome Aginla. And by the way, his lower third on the television was uh, Boston Commuter. Um, and they were asking him <laughs> they're asking him questions of, oh, what do you think of this weather in Boston? Can you believe this snowstorm? You know, are you nervous about traveling? All without knowing that this is a Hockey Hall of Famer who spent a little over a year playing in the city of Boston. That was amazing. That was absolutely <laughs> amazing. And I know Eggy, and Eggy is such a humble, approachable, friendly person. He probably loved, he loved the fact that she had no idea who he was because that's just the kind of personality he is. I love that he just rolled right with it. Uh, amazing. There, there was something else along this. I think it's starting to kind of catch a little bit for some reason on yep. social media. Manny, Manny Maria, did you see this one? Yes. He, he did the same thing. So he's at like a bar. And he taps this guy, he has his buddy record, and he taps this guy, he's like, hey, man, nice hat. 
And he's like, oh, thanks. And he's like, do you go to a lot of games or something? And the guy, so this guy with his girlfriend kind of blew him off. <laughs> and he the guy's wearing a Boston Red Sox hat. He has no idea it's Manny Ramirez. Uh, I'm loving these. These are these are awesome. But yeah, the Iggy one was was special. Although I got a little bugaboo with Iggy when he came to join our team with Pittsburgh. He made me feel he made me feel like a small person. I don't know if I ever told you this story. No, Alex. When I get out of the shower, he's a nice guy. I love, love him to death. Oh, did he make you feel that way? You were a small person. No, 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 no. I know you're going there, but no, no, the opposite, actually. Um, uh, I, get, I get dried off. I get my clothes on. It's a practice day. I'm about ready to go out of there. And, you know, I'm, I'm the type of guy, I think a lot of guys out there can relate to this. I like to kind of powder up. I like to powder up on my way out, just kind of feeling free down there and moving and, and jiving and stretching and, and, you know, whatever, high, high stepping out of there. It feels good, right? Yeah, showing off the so body. Kinda, yeah, so I kind of power up down there. I kind of give it the old wafty waft. And then I, I, I rinse my hand um, in the sink, and I get the paper towels, and I'm out. And he goes, whoa, what was that? I go, what? He goes, what you just did? I go, I was just rinsing my hand. I had some powder on my, my hand from, you know, powder and, you know, from my undercarriage. And he goes, yeah, I saw what you did. Wait, aren't you going to use soap? I was like, well, I mean, I just got out of the shower, and he made this huge thing of it and, like, called me out in the locker room, like, oh, yeah, Jumping Joe over here. He goes to powder up and not even wash his hands. Don't touch this guy. Don't shake his hand. Maybe you feel like a like a little like a little ant, but he's a good guy. <laughs> we we need to get uh, Jerome Ginla on the podcast at some point. We need to get him on this week in hockey so that we can address this uh, with the Hockey Hall of Famer himself. He, he wouldn't even remember. He probably doesn't even remember me. He, he's a Hall of Famer, although maybe he does. We had some cool conversations. Well, he's a great guy. Hey, I, I love that news. Joey V, this is always fun, buddy. It's great to catch up, man. Uh, we'll be back at it next week, hopefully with some positive news that January 13th is the firm date. Uh, but I can't wait to get back into the booth with you and Curbs, buddy. We are going to have a lot to talk about next week. I got a funny feeling, Alex. I do too, buddy. Joey, have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll talk to you Thursday. Thanks, Big Al. Can't wait. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll we'll talk to you next Thursday at 6 o'clock for more This Week in Hockey right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN.